What's up, everybody? We're here with the 53rd episode of Fear Frequency. And for our new listeners, it's a weekly horror podcast where two best friends round up the latest horror news and review a movie. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And I'm George Fazard. And if you're a new listener, we would really appreciate it if you gave us a review over on iTunes. And uh, you can always email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. We'll read your message on the show. And uh, we actually have a new iTunes review this week from Nate Million, who says, My wife is the biggest fan. She talks about this podcast and the host all the time. She loves everything about it, and she's gotten me into it, and I'm so glad we can share this in common. So thank you, Hell yeah. We're keeping couples together. Keeping families together. We're building relationships. That's a new Tinder bio for you. My (laughs) podcast keeps couples together. I think you should put that in there, honestly. (laughs) I'll put that review and just (laughs) just say keeping couples together. Did you check the email? Yeah, we don't know anything about the email. I was like, oh shit, I don't think we checked the email. (laughs) But anyways, we're coming at you live from Nazi-occupied France, and we have a bunch of news about Evil Dead, Sabrina, Bloodborne, and Cam. And in segment two, we're reviewing Overlord. But before we get into that, I have an incoming transmission from Dr. Loomis, which means we have what might be the final Halloween alert for a while, because it's really short. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit. Uh, it's, this one is reaching a bit. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it, and then I had one thing that could definitely go on it, and then the second thing... I read as related to Evil Dead, and I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> and then I looked into it, and it was like, "Oh, there's there's a Halloween version." So there's I'll start with this. There. Yeah, I'll start with the second thing. So the, the the first thing here to talk about is we figured out how that title sequence was made in the new Halloween. Uh, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but we're literally talking about the title sequence. So I don't think you really have to click away. But basically, what happens is a carbon copy of the jack-o'-lantern from the original movie is dead and moldy and it comes back to life and uh bloody disgusting talked to the greenhouse gfx team who's led by production designer richard richard wright and together what they did was they took a picture of the uh pumpkin rotting and then reversed it they took a picture every hour for a couple days i think I mean, it looks pretty fluid in the actual animation of the pumpkin coming back to life. So, I mean, I thought what they did was they literally just had one on the table and they just had a camera on it for like a little while. But yeah. That makes sense too. Where it's like one an hour, I guess, save some time and save some man hours of having to keep it recording. Okay, I got an update. This they were shot every sixty seconds for an entire week. There was a picture taken of this rotting pumpkin, and then they reversed it after they put it all together. So, I mean, that's how they made it. Yeah, it came out great. Like, I honestly love that. I think that's opening sequence is a really good callback, and it's it looks great in the, uh, you know, in the actual film. And it's also a cool, like, symbolism to revitalizing the series, bringing it back to life. So I kind of, I walked away with that as being, like, a very cool thing in the movie. I like that title sequence more than the entire game of Fortnite. <laughs> so the next thing on here middle of beyond who a lot of people have asked me where i get my friday the 13th scarf that i've had for a few years now i bought it from middle of beyond back in 2015 i want to say when i lived in michigan and it's held up pretty well they're selling um some halloween ornaments that are also evil dead 2 themed so 
that's i saw this and i was like oh evil dead ornaments i'll put that on there it'll be like christmas eve we're starting the christmas season and then i saw that the the first one is a knife like from halloween and it says halloween on it so i was like oh that's like totally worth 20 bucks and it'll go in the halloween alert but they also have a chainsaw that says evil dead 2 and a necronomicon which i think the necronomicon is the best out of the three yeah that one definitely looks the coolest um middle to beyond they do make some really cool designs and they have a lot of interesting shit they have some good cthulhu themed stuff and some halloween themed gear it's oh yeah your boy cthulhu it's a little pricey uh generally i guess yeah i Um, think this the reason i got the scarf was because it was like 30 bucks back in the day right and their sweaters look really cool they have a halloween sweater that i definitely want to get yeah i mean these ornaments are 20 bucks which it doesn't break the bank but at the same time like I guess it's a little expensive for a Christmas ornament, but it's one ornament. I mean, it's twenty bucks for one ornament. I feel is a bit expensive, but yeah. I mean, it's it's hand blown glass or whatever. So it, if I'd you want to commit to the meme of being like a year round horror fan, I think it's kind of worth it. But also, you have it up for a month, so like, <laughs> yeah, but it might I mean, not be. <laughs> you spend twenty bucks, you can put it up every year for however long you're alive. So it kind of pays for itself. Yeah, that's that's true. I don't know how you like put a value on that time though, because <laughs> you don't want to seem conceited. You can't be like my time is worth sixty dollars a minute, right? But you, you could be like, like how... my ornament is worth <laughs> x amount of dollars per year. My ROI, my <laughs> my return on investment is like five years and it'll be paid off. <laughs> you could do some analysis on it, but I just think it's it's a little pricey. But I think it is a cool ornament and. Uh, if if you are a Halloween fan or a Evil Dead fan, I think you should check it out and and see see if you want to get one. If I yeah, but... <laughs> if I had to buy one though, I would buy the Necronomicon. If anyone's looking for a good way to get their wife to leave them, just <laughs> talk about return on investment on a twenty dollar ornament for yeah, one second. Exactly, and you'll be single like... <laughs> faster than it would take to break that ornament by dropping it on the ground. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's the Halloween <laughs> alert this week. <laughs> Real short, guys. I'm sorry. I tried my best here. Uh, So the first segment is getting off to a very sad start since we're talking about this movie today and we both loved it. Overlord, it turns out, is a flop. So this movie was made for $40 million and it only made $9 million this weekend. Uh, It made $18 million worldwide, probably. That's like an estimate. So... It would need about $120 million to break even, so it's safe to say Overlord is a genuine tried-and-true flop, which sucks. Yeah, I, I, I can see this getting like some kind of cult status, maybe some revival on the back end with the DVD sales. Yeah, it just but, shouldn't have been, because this movie was supposed to come out on October 26th, and they were like, no, we gotta get out of the way of Suspiria, which like... Yeah. It didn't even open theatrically wide. And they're like, let's go for the next weekend, which is going up against The Grinch. Like, the kids movie that's going to make a ton of money. It just seems like a mistake. They didn't market this at all. I think there was one trailer. And this movie was... Remember we talked about this in January? Yeah. And J.J. Abrams said it was done? Yeah. Why didn't they release a trailer then? Like, I don't know if they wanted to release it on Veterans Weekend. Because it uh, is a World War Two movie, and technically today is the observed day for Veterans Day. Whoever did that, whoever made that call, dude, should be fired. <laughs> they should just quit. <laughs> like, I, it seems dumb when you say it, but when you think about it, 
I feel like someone pitched that and they went with it. That's uh, honestly that's the only reason I can think it was put now. I think maybe Memorial Day weekend would have been better going into September into the fall a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um because if it has actually been done since January, I feel like that's probably a little bit better time rather than coming off the back end of October when kind of the horror stuff is winding down. Um, it sucks because we bitch a lot about movies that show too much in the trailer, but this movie showed virtually almost nothing in the trailer in terms of plot and like spoilers and everything. So like it, it sucks because you get why studios do that now because when they have movies that have good trailers that don't show off a whole lot, but genuinely come across as cool like overlords did, no right. one goes to see the goddamn movie. Right. So it makes sense that they're like, well, we'll show you all the plot so you'll get in the theater and then we'll make money off of it. Yeah. But it it, it, it does suck, though, because this is a generally really cool movie. It's like one of the best movies I've seen all year, honestly. It, and honestly, I've only seen like pretty overwhelming support for it for anybody that has seen it. Like everybody who sees it is a huge fan of it, but just not a lot of people are going out and seeing it which is disappointing yeah because it's great so if you haven't seen it yet definitely go see it because it's kind of like the last bell of this halloween season it's the last horror movie you're getting in theaters this year except for i think anna and the apocalypse comes out at the end of or middle or end of november and i like orion is putting that out so it could get a wide theatrical release but i wouldn't count on it so i think this is the last widely released horror movie of the year yeah, not to discount that movie in any way, because I think both of us thought it was pretty fun and, and good for what it was. But this but is way better. I think that Anna and the Apocalypse is definitely more of a VOD release than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels on I, par with a lot of the stuff we reviewed when we started this show. Yeah, it's very much like a Stegman is dead or um, something of that. Like uh, Mayhem. Yeah, which mayhem. I love. That's not to discount or, mayhem. It just uh, feels like Shack, that caliber. Something like that. I mean, yeah, which, Dead Shack. That's which good. are all, all pretty good movies, but I, I don't see them really getting a wide release. I'm getting like flashbacks now from when I took my microphone to a random hotel <laughs> in Hollywood to interview the director of uh, Dead Shack. <laughs> we've done so much with this podcast. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like we just started it, but we've come a long way. Yeah. It's weird. Sure. So. Next on here, I have Spooky Riverdale is getting a Christmas special. So, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is getting an episode called A Midwinter's Tale. And it comes out on December 14th. And they released a preview of it. I didn't watch it because I haven't, you know, I haven't seen this show yet. Except right. for, like, the first episode. So, I was like, well, I'm not going to watch that teaser because it could spoil something. But I like Christmas specials. I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to assume that the show did pretty well numbers wise if they're already greenlighting a holiday special for it later yeah. you know in like a month or two so i mean that's pretty cool um i i haven't really watched too much of the show yet i've seen a lot of stuff on twitter about people saying that it's filmed kind of weird and <laughs> it's like the there's... person who shot it doesn't know how to use the lens that they right shot it like with. i i've seen that there's <laughs> it's some like legitimately that some production issues and some editing issues um and like we said last week and we're talking about a little bit um church the uh, satan uh yeah the satanists are trying to sue the show yeah we have an update on that for use of their like trademarks and stuff so (laughs) yeah it's yeah we have an update it definitely has some some weird 
like legal and production stuff going on with it, but I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like at least people are tuning into it, and it's getting a Christmas special, so I assume that's good news for fans of the show. I mean, I'd like to watch some more of it, but I, I don't really have a strong opinion on another way yet. I don't have time. I got to be Assassin's Creed. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. Yeah. But we'll talk about the Satanic Temple lawsuit update now. So basically, they threatened to sue Netflix and Warner Brothers last week. That was the news. But this week, they did sue them for $50 million. So no, that's not a small amount of money. And the basically, the issue is that the Satanic Temple feels Chilling Adventures misappropriated their imagery. And they used it to represent evil deeds like... Uh, what do they got here? Cannibalism, murder, and evil—just general evil. Um, so yeah, they're pretty pissed about that, and so they want fifty million dollars from Netflix. And you, I feel, I feel weird saying this, but I feel like they got a case here, dude. Like I get where they're coming from. That's <laughs> no, like, like they have this thing they came up with that's met that means one thing. And then Chilean Adventures of Sabrina was like, hey, look at this goat. <laughs> it's Baphomet. Let's make him evil because he looks evil. I, I totally get where they're coming from because the Satanist temple is legitimately, like, if you read the Satanist Bible or look at their, like, their version of the commandments or whatever, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with cannibalism or sacrificing or... You it's know, like all doing about evil to selfishness, others. right? Like it's about it's, making yourself the best you can, you can be. Right. It's essentially about putting yourself first, thinking that you are worth a lot and you are important in the world. And basically, if people screw you over, then you can screw them over back. But it's basically like do whatever you have to do to make yourself important or to move yourself forward in whatever your goal is. So it's really not about anything evil or summoning demons or cannibalism or anything like that so i get why they'd be upset that this is kind of putting a negative spin on that and saying that their religion is based on evil or it condones evil acts and i get why they would be upset by that yeah me too i get it uh i kind of hope they win because netflix is dripping in money and so is warner brothers and i feel like they could like i feel like that would light a fire under their ass you know to treat the shit better in the future or, and or I don't at least know, you I would do just, proper research on certain things like i'd love to see two to... giant corporations lose 50 million dollars personally like i know <laughs> that's kind of petty but like how hilarious would that be if the satanic temple was able to take 50 million dollars from netflix and warner brothers the, the libertarian in me would absolutely love that like yeah. <laughs> i definitely want to see that happen um i just think it'd be funny <laughs> just for the sake of like you know the little man winning in this kind of yeah, I feel like from the statements and stuff, the Satanic Temple is hamming it up, but it kind of reeks of them doing it on purpose to make this seem like a much bigger deal than it is, because obviously they need to bring it up in court, right? So they're trying to make it look like this is an extremely grave offense, but I feel like they know that it's really not as big of a deal as they're making it out to be, but the only way they'd ever win is if they make it out to be as big of a deal as they are. Well, Here's the thing. I think that the Satanist temple gets a bad rap right off the bat because yes. people assume it's a Satanist temple, so it is about these things that the Sabrina show is basically saying or using their imagery to condone that, yes, it's about, you know, cannibalism and these other things that are like that it is this temple is about evil acts. And so this is kind of a way to not only make some money in the process, but say, hey, the, these are not actions that we as a temple condone. We're actually about right. these different values, and we're not like an inherently evil 
entity. <laughs> you know, like it's a good yeah, way to both yeah. get some good publicity about your movement as a cause and also say, you know, make some money off the back of it. I just yeah, and I don't think this makes the Satanic Temple really look like a bad guy for suing Netflix. No, like Netflix, Netflix looks like Netflix the bad is guys. the bad guy in the situation. <laughs> like Yeah, and the show's originally supposed to be on CW and that feels like a very amateur like CW move, you know? <laughs> to to fucking uh use this Im- use right, the just imagery like not, in that way. Not like, do not the research and, and just throw but, it and in I and feel and like it if pass. it was, yeah, I feel like if it was on CW, no one would be saying anything. But I feel like because Netflix is involved, that has like a stamp of quality and money that the Satanic Temple is seeing and being like, oh, yeah, there's some dollar signs for yeah, us, baby. Like, they, they see some deep pockets over there as opposed to the CW. Yeah, so, you know, we're legal experts. We're both ba- essentially <laughs> we're both, lawyers. We both pass the law at the bar <laughs> in our respective states. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're right. And next up on here, just moving away from that, Fetty Alvarez, he answers people's questions on Twitter quite a bit. It's a smart way to stay relevant, if you ask me. For someone who just put out a movie, The Girl in the Spider's Web, which I have not seen, um, he was talking to fans and someone asked him, they said, I need to settle an argument in a group chat. Is Evil Dead a remake or is it set within the continuity of the original films? And I'm, I can't believe no one's ever asked him this, but he straight up said it continues the first one. The coincidences on events between the first film and mine are not coincidences, but more like dark fate created by the evil book. Ash's car is still there rusting away, which is true. That's like straight up there. So it's it's in the same universe this is something me and you have talked about quite a few times on the show i just think it's cool that someone straight up confirmed it for once yeah i mean it seems like they would obviously have the rights to the universe if they were able to make a remake of it so it's cool they're able to i, I mean it is very much a soft reboot as in the fact yeah, that totally. it's, it, it, you know, it's a retelling of evil dead one and two but with you know a, a, their own twist to it and it works very well but um, it's cool to find out that it's that the, it's a little deeper, that it's more of like a you know a loop that this kind of area is caught in, where anybody who's in this area is kind of sucked into the same fate that Ash was uh, yeah. in those movies. It's it's cool to know that you know it's not just a reboot of the original, but it's kind of it, it makes the lore of the sh- of the movie a little bit deeper. I think it's like a jump start. Yeah, and I, I think that is cool. And it's cool that Fetty Alvarez is still talking about this movie, what, like five years after it came out? Yeah, and uh, B Fred X asked us if we think there's any reboot that we like more than the original. And I definitely like Evil Dead 2013 more than the original Evil Dead. I don't like it more than two, but I definitely like it more than the original. So um, that's my answer. I like that also. I think that it's better than the original. Um, another one that I think is better than the original is the Friday the 13th reboot. I think yeah. that is far and away better than the original apples Friday the 13th. Apples. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of... It, it's a little different because, like, the first Friday the 13th isn't really a Jason Slasher movie. I mean, if you want to compare yeah. it to, like, three or four when the series really gets started, I guess it's more apples to apples, but I think that... The Friday Thirteenth reboot is a better jumpstart to a new Jason franchise than the original was to starting a franchise. Yeah, you found a cool loophole there. I like it. I'm trying to work these questions into the show <laughs> when they come up. Uh, so thanks more for that organically question. than just having like a, a section at the end. <laughs> 
Yeah, which we, <laughs> which we are going to do because some of these don't tie into news stories, even though <laughs> I specifically asked for questions that tie into news stories. Uh, so next up on here, Orion dated the Child's Play reboot and they released a new poster. The Orion name is something new to this reboot that I haven't seen before. It was originally MGM, I remember that, and I know they own Orion, but I just think it's I think it's kind of funny that they're putting that Orion name before Child's Play, which means it'll be before RoboCop, which is fucking awesome. So, uh, this movie is coming out on June 21st, 2019, which is the same day as Toy Story 4. So you're going to have a choice of what killer or if you're going to go see a movie about a killer toy or a movie about toys who are not killers. I've seen them both on the same day. I don't give a shit. Yeah, me too. But the poster <laughs> uh, poster reveals some stuff. So it's called a My Buddy doll, like B-U-D-D-I. And it has a little Wi-Fi, you know, for the dot above the I. And I kind of zoomed in on the box and tried to sharpen it. But basically, there's ads all over it for it can connect to your phone. It can connect to your laptop. It's it like... It's really smart. It it's very much like a 21st wrecking. century toy as opposed to yeah. a possessed doll. But they're using the same font. It has an almost identical box to the original one. I'm coming around in this movie in the sense that like it's we're getting it either way. They're getting good actors signed on. I think it's disrespectful to make it still, but if we're getting it either way, whatever. You know? Like, I'm going to see it. I mean, at, at least it's not trying to do a full shot for shot remake of the original it's trying to do something a little bit new or putting its own twist on it which i i can appreciate yeah um i i don't hate the idea i don't love it either i'm very like ambivalent to a smart doll toy i just think that's like not yeah i was playing it up for a bit i think i'm just so sick of this franchise but honestly like to be fair to this movie i don't like i don't think it's fair to cast my uh what do you call it? fatigue onto this one because right. they are trying something new with it and it's not really their fault that you know don mancini's thing is still going i don't think what they're doing is right so i think they should let like either pick one or the other let mancini kind of finish his thing off and then make this but like i don't feel like it's fair to cast my franchise fatigue on this movie especially considering they're keeping a lot of the same elements but they are modernizing the story which i'm always a fan of uh, and it looks like they're being respectful by using the same title treatment. And it does have a very 80s feel to the poster, which, like, that's something you'd think you'd see on, like, the Comic-Con poster. But this is the main poster for the movie. It's the first one we've gotten. So it's not as bad as it could be. No, and I, and I definitely want to do get a chance, like you are saying, where, you know, we haven't seen it yet. And they have, it seems like they have a couple, you know, decent actors on board. And they're they're trying something new. So I'm, I'm not, wanna, I don't want to write it off yet. Just there's I'm... something about this script that has them stoked because remember they fast-tracked it they signed on aubrey plaza like they want this movie done they want it out right so and so so i'm gonna give it a chance i'm gonna be hesitantly optimistic on it <laughs> okay i'm i think i'm gonna do a video about on this after we record too because people seem to be excited for this movie uh, before we move on to the next question, though, we actually have three questions related to this movie. So, again, people are really excited about it. So the first one comes from Callum Walters 98, who is super active in our Discord. So thank you, Callum. Uh, he says, what do we think or who do we think will be voicing this new Chucky? Which is a really good question because Brad Dourif isn't voicing him. So I think it'll be someone like sounds who sounds clean. You know, it won't be 
the voice of a serial killer. It'll be a clean Siri-esque voice. Right. I feel like it'll be somewhat animatronic in a way or robotic. Yeah. Um, in the way that who could do that? I mean, I'd assume it might be someone who's done maybe some video game work already. Um, maybe like a Troy Baker or something like that. That'd be cool. Uh, someone down the list said they want Ryan Reynolds to do it. I mean, that'd be kind of fun. Like, I don't... Or, um, actually, what would be, be kind of cool... Oh, it was cool. Callum. Callum said that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they could get him, but um, the guy who does Vision in the Marvel movies... Oh, yeah. It would have to be someone like that. Where the like voice John is Hamm. very much like... Like a John, John Hamm would be sweet. Matthew or, McConaughey. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be funny. I feel like he's too serial killer. Oh. Or like, like he could Fielder. do it. Where, like, you hug the My Buddy doll, and he's just like... I'm going to kill you, all right. What if, it was, what if it was Hannibal Burris? Like, this sucks. <laughs> He's like, I hate this. <laughs> Shit's whack, man. Shit's whack. <laughs> uh, man, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> or like Eric Andre. Eric Andre just, just like, screams ah! at your face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say Nathan Fielder. <laughs> just, I, that's the I default. Nathan, Nathan Fielder. I want Nathan Fielder to voice Detective Pikachu. That would be awesome. I think that'd be better than Ryan Reynolds, honestly. Yeah. Someone on Twitter said that um, all of the lines in the Detective Pikachu trailer sound like they were written for T.J. Miller, and I totally believe that. Yeah. Is the I, truth that would not, and his voice is like kind of more gravelly and like smokery, so I could get why, like he's the middle ground between Ryan Reynolds and Danny DeVito. Since, like, yeah. Danny DeVito was the fan pick for Detective Pikachu, and I think that would be awesome to have <laughs> Danny DeVito do it. I saw a thing where they dubbed over Danny DeVito's voice with the yeah, Mr. Mind it was part. hilarious. Like, <laughs> like, I'm going to take this and shove it up your whore wife's ass. <laughs> or and the girl's like, you're adorable. And he goes, you're ugly. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I like. I'm. I'm more excited for Detective Pikachu than. Uh, you know what? Child's play. I think Danny DeVito should Miles. voice the new. The new doll. <laughs> they should just use lines from movies from and Always shows. Sunny, or just like him <laughs> eating a bunch of cheese and stuff out of the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> or like, didn't he play the penguin? Yeah, he played the penguin. They should just only use lines of him playing the penguin. I that would also be awesome. Listen to that you, movie. You could honestly use stock this. lines from DeVito and just put that in the voice of the doll, and it would work. I'm crying. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, H. Van Demand says, Do you guys think the new Child's Play will lead to another decent to garbage set of rebooted movies like the originals, or will it just be another one continuing the current timeline? Uh... The reboot is separate from the current timeline, which is continuing with the sci-fi TV show and hopefully a new movie if Don Mancini can drum up the money from Universal. I, I'm sure... So the weird thing about this is they can only make Child's Play 1. So they can't call the sequel to this movie if it does well, Child's Play 2. They have to call it, like, My Buddy Returns. They can't, they, like, they can't make a sequel, a Child's Play sequel, because Universal owns the rights to Child's Play sequels my only thing there is so let's say this child's play movie comes out it does huge it does you know like 10 times return on their budget then maybe they'd want to combine the two maybe they'd start talking to see what they could do to kind of get eye to eye 
on combining yeah. the two franchises. At the end of the day, these people only care about money. <laughs> so right. if Universal sees MGM making fat stacks on Child's Play, they'll be like, all right, time to integrate this. Let's let's just streamline it and keep going. Yeah, so I think like it's you an issue of, right. of how well it's going to perform as to if those franchises will ever intersect again or if, you know, maybe Mancini comes back on and does the sequel or something. It it, uh, it would honestly yeah. just depend on what kind of numbers I think this one does or if it's a decent movie or not. Yeah, so our boy Mothman Media wants to know your pitch for a new original Child's Play movie. And I'd personally love to hear this. <laughs> this is a bit of a tall order. I think it would be cool to do something like a Jumanji-style Child's Play movie. Okay, where, what does that mean? So, like... Let's say the kid finds a doll that has, like, this past of doing something evil. So we could have, like, the intro be the doll committing its first murder for whatever reason, whatever you want the backstory to be. Serial killer, possessed by a demon, whatever. And then it somehow gets into the hands of, like, you know, the first person takes it and they bury it out in the woods somewhere. Then... <laughs> someone taking their doll out there if it was shot like evil dead that'd be cool with like those fast camera motions and like when yeah. uh he starts up the chainsaw you know like that quick snappy camera right. work so then we have like let's say a new family is setting up uh a house somewhere out, out in the boonies and so they're digging up the land because they're building a house there and they find the box with the doll in it and they have a young yeah. kid they give the doll to the kid because it's like well we found this thing out here it's Weird that it was buried, but I guess that's fine. And then they give it to the kid, and then weird things start happening with the doll. Like I said, it doesn't have to be the same exact story as the original. It could be a serial killer. It could be demonic. It could be whatever you want it to be. And okay. you, you j just kind of go from there, where it's kind of, like, attached to this item, and it's cursed, and you have to see it through and get rid of it in your own way before it will leave you alone. That's fair. I like that. Sounds better than what they're doing. That Good job, George. That's like my first instinct on what I would do with it. I don't know. <laughs> no one's asking me to write the screenplay for another one, but that that's Sounds like what they should have done with Annabelle. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Same idea. Okay, that's fair. I like that. So, that wraps up the 9,000 questions we got about childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, next up on here, uh, George and I saw this movie in Telluride called Cam, about a cam girl who gets deep faked and it ruins her life. And net we found out again, Blumhouse, I guess co-produced that movie, but Netflix had purchased it by the time we'd seen it. And it's finally, well, it, it's coming to Netflix on November 16th. I don't think it's finally, I think it's just like, it's actually coming out soon than sooner than we thought. Uh, I thought cam was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's out this weekend. We already, I left about the theater and I was like, I think it's cause I was really tired. I was like, Ugh. Like, uh, I just, that was too much. But then once I sat on it for a little bit, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. I, I don't want to discourage anyone from seeing it. I think if you are interested in the plot, and it's an interesting plot, you should watch it. I don't think it comes to a satisfying conclusion, but I think it's an okay watch. I think it's well made. Like, it it's, looks It's good. definitely well made and well produced. Like, it has high production values, and it doesn't feel cheap in any way. No, um, it definitely doesn't feel cheap. It feels... It feels like a pretty big budget. It feels on par with the stuff Blumhouse puts into theaters. I would For sure. Say. Yeah. Like, it, I could see this being played right next to, like, Unfriended or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Like, the latest totally. Blumhouse. 
And so I think if you're interested in, if you like those kinds of, uh, you know, if you like Blumhouse movies or the kind of low-budget horror style, I think check it out. I mean, everybody has Netflix at this point, so give it a watch this weekend. But um, it's cool that it got Netflix oh, yeah, distribution. I, I think that's cool. I might watch it again this weekend just to see if I like it more after not having just seen five movies. Right, after sitting on it for a bit and kind of yeah. just watching that instead of at as the far end of like a five movie originals, day. Yeah, as far as Netflix originals go, this one may as well be a 10. So Honestly, because they're very, very, very hit or miss. It's like... <laughs> hit or miss. I guess they never miss, huh? So next up on here... Slash and cast, our boy is Riley, or our boy Riley. There's more than one guy who part of Slash and cast, but Riley did this interview with Larry Zerner. And if you don't know who Slash and cast are, they're basically the definitive channel for Friday the 13th, the game updates. Like, these guys are experts about that game, and I guess the entire franchise. They're really smart. He did this awesome interview with Larry Zerner, and if you want to know anything about the friday the 13th legal updates like this is this is the definitive source like every question that needs to be answered is answered in this thing on where the series could or where the franchise could go where why the where the game could go why it hasn't gone anywhere yet like what's going on with the lawsuit it's like a 30 minute interview that covers just about everything you could ever want to know and they've been doing streams all week where they're called you've got questions we've got answers so if you have any questions about friday the 13th the game after listening to this interview you can go ask them on their youtube channel so i just thought it'd be worth plugging because yeah it's know. a it's a good interview for sure and that's definitely the number one place to go for any news on that game um yeah i don't really have any more details than they would so i think if you're interested in it you should probably just go check out that video yeah uh i hope last year comes out soon so riley can get better as the killer <laughs> uh so next up on here speaking of slash and cast they actually came up while we were in salem in conversation when we we're talking to these guys and the friday the 13th guys mixtape massacre is a board game that's basically like if you took your favorite 80s slasher movies and turned them into a board game from what i can tell i really need to get a copy of this game because it looks so much fun but they announced the kickstarter for their sequel mixtape massacre escape from tall oaks and they write they wrote up a really good description i haven't actually i played the game a little bit at a bar in salem but this description is better than i could come up with it says it's a meta cooperative game where two to six players attempt to escape the maddening streets of tall oaks by fighting off slashers rescuing residents and collecting essential items in hopes of getting the hell out of town or die trying through through working together at times to safeguard the town, in the end, only one survivor can escape. I would have written that a little bit differently, but that's okay. So you have one one to six survivors, each have their own skill sets. You can explore new locations in Tall Oaks with weapons and other things in tow while you escape. But you have to watch your back because the town's most infamous villains are in the shadows, ready to butcher your mom. And <laughs> the board can link with the first game, so I guess you can play them together. It seems yeah. cool. I think and it's here, worth giving a couple bucks. Here it says that one of the big enemies is a dog with a huge nutsack. Dude, it does. It's, that's a Kickstarter <laughs> reward. If you give them... Uh, I forgot the currency in Romania. <laughs> I think it's like rupees or something. It's definitely not that. If you give them 69 Romanian coins, 
you get ben, the kid. You get the dog get with huge nutsack playable <laughs> character. Yeah, confirmed. I'm looking through uh I'm looking through the screenshots on the website. I don't know, it looks pretty cool. No, I actually really like board games. I don't really get to play them that often, but I think they are really a cool like a tabletop game is a fun medium to play with like people. You know, it, I agree. It, it's kind of a dying art because you don't really get to hang out with your friends physically and play something like tabletop anymore. But I think it is a, a cool kind of different way to play something. And I, I think it'd be fun to pick something like this up and just kind of play it like once or twice a year with a, with a couple of buddies. If I live closer to you, I would definitely get it because I know we would play this. Yeah, and with I mean, friend of the show, Tim, we would. We would all play this. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think if you have a couple of friends that are into board games, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't get this, because this would just kind of be a fun, like, Friday, Saturday night activity. You know, sit around a table with a few beers and play this. Yeah, it could teach me how to read the descriptions that I uh, paste from Bloody Disgusting. Because <laughs> I it seem to nice. have trouble with that every week. Uh, nice. so, that's it for, like, the movie news, but we have this video game section that is, as of yet, untitled. Uh, so I collected some video game stories from the week that are horror related. The first one is really cool. Some guy, he's a coder, I guess. He found an unused boss in Bloodborne that's just a big ball of snakes. <laughs> it's really creepy looking. Uh, I guess those snakes were part of the Shadow of Yarnum boss battle. So the, this this boss kind of became that one. But it looks really cool. It's a big, big ball of snakes. Yeah, um... I don't really know what, how they decide like what makes a cut for a boss or not in these games, or I, I'd assume it's probably like you know they want a decently complicated move set and a few other things before they put them in since they're a soul style game and I don't know how many moves a ball of snakes could really have. Um, <laughs> maybe that's the reason it got cut. <laughs> I but... wonder if there's a boss that's a dog with a huge nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I want that boss. But I, I mean, it definitely looks creepy, and it's a cool. I could see this in like Bloodborne Two if they introduce like a new area where one of the common enemies is a big ball of snakes or something like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Or a boss could throw this as uh, one of their attacks or something. Sounds slimy. It definitely sounds super slimy. Um, I like it. But it's cool. It's cool to see that they have all these, you know, unique unused ideas. So there's a uh, not really a lot of threat of from software not being able to come up with interesting bosses or cool areas so next up here xbox had their x018 it was xo xo18 right something like that yeah x018 they had a, so, <laughs> they had a convention in mexico city where they announced a bunch of new games and that they bought obsidian which is crazy but one of the things they talked about was that State of Decay 2 is getting a free update called Zed Hunter that's basically adding a bunch of new weapons like a crossbow uh, that lets you run over and get the bolts if they stick into the wall, which is kind of sweet. There's three new melee weapons that are including swords, and then you can get six new consumables that grant you abilities in exchange for blood plague accumulation, such as the power to see in the dark, which I feel would be pretty useful when you're fighting a zombie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's plenty of dark environments in that game, so I could see why being able to see in the dark would be beneficial. I need to play this game. I got a code for it. I played it for like eight hours, and then something came out. <laughs> I think it was Jurassic Park Evolution. I think that's what came out, and then I never came back to this. But I need to play this game, because I heard it only got better after release. Yeah, uh, I've heard this game's really cool. I don't know if this is included in the Game Pass or not. It is, because it's a first-party game. 
yeah, but um, yeah, I've heard it's definitely cool. Like I've heard some good stuff about it, and it seems like this is a, like the new definitive zombie series. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what that um, what's the Sony one days days uh, gone which, days gone. That's ugh, that game's like I feel bad because. I don't know. Like, I really like Sony Bend. They made some awesome games like Resistance Retribution. They made the Uncharted game for Vita, which is, like, better than the first Uncharted by a lot. (sighs) They've only made handheld games. This is their first console game. They've been working on it since before the PS4 came out. So I really don't think there's any way they can even break even on it at this point. So, like, I, I don't know. I really hope that this game, once it comes out, doesn't result in them getting shut down. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that it sells well and it's a decent game. But I feel um, like Sony will look at how many studios Microsoft has now and be like, fuck, you guys, like, you just missed getting shut down because we need more studios. Because <laughs> Sony made the kind of dumb decision over the past few years to close down a lot of their studios that they opened up during the PS3 area. Or era, yeah. not area. Um, so, I don't the, know. I feel like they're kind of lucky that they own the rights to Spider-Man because I, if they didn't own the exclusive rights to Spider-Man and that would have gone out in both consoles, it wouldn't have obviously been a, as huge of a hit for Sony. Right. I mean, that was like the most, you know, the highest selling game in October, I think. Yeah. Um, So, like, they're lucky that they were able to have Insomniac make that as an exclusive, but... um. They've obviously made an exclusives for Xbox as well, so if, <laughs> you know, they could have just as easily ported it to both consoles if there was not that legal issue. So, and uh, Sunset Overdrive just finally showed up on Steam, like, in the database. So that's definitely coming out on computer soon. And that was a one X or Xbox One exclusive that Insomniac did. That was really good. Yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, this seems like their um, answer to Days Gone but they've released it sooner and have a lot more feedback and they seem and to be improving cheaper. things constantly and it's cheaper. So I think if you're interested in this and like, I don't really want to pip out game pass or anything. Like they're not paying us to say anything, but I think that is actually a really good deal. And so if it's part of that uh, subscription, I would definitely check it out. I don't mind pimping them dude. Like the one X I bought that last year and I had a lull for a little bit where I wasn't really playing anything on it, but now it's like, I feel stupid for, not going with xbox sooner because there's just it looks so good every yeah. game i play on there looks great they run great the the gap between the ps4 pro and the xbox one x cannot be overstated it's like it, noticeably better if you have a 4k tv you're doing yourself a disservice by not having a one x yeah because you come it comes with the 4k blu-ray with blu-ray player which the ps4 pro does not which is insane and the games all look better yeah so uh those are yeah, just been, our two cents. Um, I've been playing Assassin's Creed on there, dude. Whew, looks good. Red Dead 2, unbelievable. Yeah. So the last game story I have on here we can talk about quick. I've been seeing gifts of this game for a while. It finally came out in early access. It's called Hell Sign. It's 15 bucks, and it has three bosses in the first chapter, which is playable now, and there's 13 different creatures you can hunt. It's basically like a third person. It's kind of like... It looks like it sort of plays like the original Resident Evil, but without tank controls. Like, it's over-the-top perspective, kind of like Diablo. And you're basically... It's like R-rated Zach Baggins, the game. Which <laughs> so it's like an isometric, really cool. like, house, like, ghost hunting game. Yeah, kinda. yeah, yeah. But the ghosts are, could be, like, giant spiders. 
and you have guns and other you can, you have like a uv light is an investigation aspect to it. I don't. It looks really cool. It has 97 reviews on Steam, and it's overwhelmingly positive, which you never see with early access games. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I might drop 15 bucks on this. It looks pretty cool. I mean, for 15 bucks, you can't really go wrong. Um, it'd be cool to see something like this on like a Switch or a portable console. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I honestly, I have no issue throwing this on my laptop, paying 15 bucks, and yeah, my it laptop out. feels like a laptop game. Yeah, it seems it sounds really cool to me. Um, I've been watching a little bit more of uh, <laughs> the uh, Ghost Adventures with Sack Baggins, and so I think this would be <laughs> kind of fun to check out. I'm going to Vegas in January, and you bet your ass I'm going <laughs> to drag my new editor. Oh my god, Josh! I'm going to make him go to Zach Baggins. You're going to tell me all about that place, <laughs> all about the Zach Baggins Haunted Museum. Yeah, so that's exciting. But with that, we come to the end of segment one. We'll be right back with our review of Overlord. we're back from our quick break and this week we're reviewing overlord so paramount was kind enough to invite me to see it early last week and you went and saw it last night right yeah i saw it uh, over the weekend okay so if you guys haven't heard of this which i'm sure you have if you've been listening to the show it was rumored to be a cloverfield movie it's been done all year it's from producer jj abrams it's basically if you took wolfenstein and turned it into a movie it's directed by first-time director julius avery it's written by billy ray and mark l smith and it stars jovan adepo as private boys and basically plot synopsis without spoiling anything they drop into occupied france uh the night before d-day they have to take down a radio tower to make it easier for the allied forces to storm the beaches of norm normandy the next day and win World War II, they get to this occupied town and realize that the Nazis are doing experiments on humans and there's crazy stuff going on. So I'm just going to come out and say it. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. I think it is a thousand percent better better than we gave it credit for when we talked about it all year. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking <laughs> awesome, dude. It's yeah. so good. I really liked it. I thought it was. I, I like how it kind of starts off as almost like a Saving Private Ryan or like an old like war epic where it kind of just starts as if it's a normal troop dropping down into enemy forces and they do they do the aspect of a war movie extremely well better than they have any credit you yeah. know what I mean like Why it's is very the war serious movie aspect of this movie so good it's great no it's awesome it's like one it's of the so better good. war movies I've seen in a long time like the, the opening f- sequence yeah like the first terrifying. 30 minutes of this movie is better than like the whole four fucking hours of Pearl Harbor or whatever you know, like, it's it's like a really interesting, deep war movie that they make you care about the characters, and it looks good, and the setting's interesting. They have, uh, you know, it's in, like, occupied France, and you get some kind of, you know, French, like, tattling to the Germans aspect of it, and these yeah. war-torn houses, and you see uh, how torn apart Europe was during this time, and how devastating that was. I mean, that aspect is nailed so well for a movie that's like you know turns into a more uh gory b-movie zombie action movie yeah and the zombie aspect of it is believable uh if you've ever seen some of the experiments that nazis were doing like 
it there's a really creepy 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 part when you see a lady's head reanimated oh i love and that her part. spine is still there but everything else is gone that was so creepy and she's talking yeah oh that was really creepy and there's a zombie in it who has his arm kind of ripped off and he, his forearm bone is sticking out and he kind of uses it as a sword to try and stab another character i thought that was really cool yeah i uh, loved all those aspects i thought that it looked good there oh, was some great. there was some cgi that i didn't the guy's face healing was the only one the only cgi that really threw me off was when a, the guy who's on every poster or whatever yeah the main bad guy his face heals and it looks like venom the face heal wasn't great um there's like a very splits like very small part of the scene where uh fits from agents of shield that's who that was um has Dude. a scene oh my god okay. that was like <laughs> Some parts of it looked good, where it was, like, practical effects, and some parts of it looked not as good. Um, yeah. Where they they filled in CG, you know, they used CGI to fill in some parts, and that looked kind of more like the thing from 2011. Um, yeah. But But, but there's some cool shit in that part, too. They made up for it with some cool practical stuff. D- He's definitely. like, my head hurts, and slams his head into the beam. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I mean, de- definitely, it's very nitpicky. I I think, like, my only real gripes with it are, um, I think that some of the CGI didn't look the best, which I can understand, since the budget seemed, like, not, you know, it didn't seem like a super multi-million dollar budget movie. Right, totally. Um, so I can forgive it for that. I think that the one main guy who's out on the posters, who's, like, the main SS general that's the bad guy... I think he's not the best actor in the world. I think he kind of overacts at some parts and is. I agree. He seems like comically evil. Yeah. Um, and so those are like my two big gripes. I think one thing that's kind of just more of a personal preference is uh, at one point in the movie, when they get to the uh, occupied town, they kind of do a throwaway comment where they say that the church, the Nazis are there because it's like a place of power and that they can go there because they're trying to do harness some kind of energy from there. And I would have liked it if they leaned more into that kind of occult idea yeah, of the Nazis searching it. for, like, some kind of evil entity there or, like, doing a ritual there or something. Like, if they would have leaned more into the supernatural occult evil aspect of that, I think that might have been uh, a, a cool, interesting twist that we don't really see that often as opposed to just, like, a Nazi experiment zombie movie. But I think that yeah, what they, well, they did say, with it they say at was the end, they're like, well. they're like, oh, this juice, it's below France. They just never wanted to dig it up. But it's like, I would have liked to see where it came from. Except, other than the guy just telling me, like, hey, it's in, it's in a well. And I think that the reason that they... I think that, like basically they could have gone too pass with it and went full in on the occult and like explained all that stuff and had the doctor be more of a main character and like had that or they could have done what they did so i think they just kind of chose like that to is make a it really good war movie right make that. it a war movie and more action centric and kind of not explain everything just because for sake of time because this movie is like almost two hours long it's like an hour and 50 minutes or something yeah it's pretty and, long and so, you know, to, to have a bunch of backstory and explain the occult aspects and have the doctor have a whole scene and everything, I think, would have detracted and maybe been, you, you know, they couldn't fit it all in one movie is what I'm trying to say. I also like that the movie just wraps up. You know, it has an ending. There's no real sequel tease or anything like that because I don't think it'll get a sequel. But it just wraps up. <laughs> it has a really solid, definitive ending, and I appreciated that. I also, this is a weird thing. So in my review, I was like, yeah, Wyatt Russell... Th- 
his lines sound like a bad Kurt Russell <laughs> impersonation. He's fucking Kurt Russell's kid. Is I that really Kurt that. Russell's? That's Kurt, <laughs> That's Russell's, Kurt Russell's kid song. with Goldie Hawn. Oh man, I had no idea. So then I was like, oh, then he did a great job. He's like he, he filled in <laughs> like a modern version of a role his dad would play. I think he did a good job in that role. Now that I know he's Kurt Russell's kid, and it's not just him like Doing trying to Kurt be Russell like Kurt impression. Russell. Yeah, he's just being like his dad, which I think is fucking awesome that they made him the like action hero in this movie. Yeah. I also um, thought it was funny. People got pissed that Giovanna Depa was the main character because apparently someone was saying online that they didn't have mixed race squads in World War II. And then J.J. Abrams was apparently like, oh, I listened to your concerns and I made the sergeant black too. <laughs> so I thought that was cool that then people were like, obviously, uh, like they, they, were, they didn't have that in World War II. And he's like, they didn't have zombies in World War II. <laughs> so I think, I, I think that's cool that they made the main character a person of color in a world war ii movie and he did like such a good job dude like he his his character arc was so good of like he doesn't want to kill anyone he sees like the horror of war he kind of comes into his own but he has his like he's like the moral compass for the entire movie and i really like that yeah and he definitely has a lot of scenes that show that you know he has a lot of personality in the movie and there's a really tense moment when he's like creeping through the nazi lab that whole scene is just yeah, that was a really terrifying. cool scene. Um, you know, he's the guy who, you know, he doesn't really want to kill, and he's very much into protecting his squad and saving his friends that he really values a lot. And like you said, he's a moral compass for the movie, and I think he plays that part really well. Yeah, he did such a good job. The, the other part people in his squad are you know very stereotypical like the one guy's like a wisecracking italian dude who's like super christian uh he he kind of has a he actually has an arc which i thought was kind of weird like he had a pretty cool character arc which is just like how did you do that yeah i, I, <laughs> I like his character him. in the like, end oh, you're cool i didn't like all of his lines like i thought some of them were kind of too cheesy but there was also some that I did laugh out loud at. Like, he he's funny in some scenes, but I think not all the jokes hit, which you can't expect every single joke to hit. Right. Um, Dude, the but, CG, or the explosions in this movie, weren't they yeah, fucking awesome? looked awesome. Like, they all looked practical. I just, like, I don't know. I can't really think of anything to criticize. I don't understand why this movie didn't get a bigger marketing push, because it's so good. Yeah, and, like... I don't know. For the budget that I had, I mean, $40 million isn't a huge budget by any means, but it's pretty big. So, you know, you'd assume that they'd want to, you know, have the actors do press junkets or advertise a little more. Because, really, this was not on anybody's radar other than people who monitor the horror news community. You know what I mean? Like, if you and, weren't... Uh, yeah. Like, actively looking at news for upcoming horror movies or then you wouldn't even have known that this came out. I saw Brad at Blade Discussing 2 saying, like, hey, so this, this like, we didn't really cover this movie either, but it's, like, a legit horror movie, and it's really good. I saw him saying that. I thought it was funny that when I tweeted about it after I got out, John Squires was like, uh, he's like, I'm going to love this movie, right? And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I made a joke about uh, how it doesn't have any of the technical issues that the Predator had. <laughs> because <laughs> we both got shit for that although that was kind of funny i I mean there are similar movies in a sense where this is a way know, better movie than the predator in my opinion yeah i mean it's a better action movie it's a better horror movie it, it's way better than the predator in my opinion um 
I don't know. I liked it a lot. I thought the squad did a great job of feeling like a cohesive unit and feeling like real characters. Yeah. Um, I thought that the introduction of the, I forget what the character's name is, uh, Chloe, I think. Oh, the, she was cool, yeah. Um, the female, she's like, lives in the French-occupied town and she hates the Nazis because, you know, of past transgressions on her town and occupying it. And um, she's kind of a thief where she goes around and loots all the bodies of war to help pay and and kind of support the family that she's in Uh, but i thought she was a really cool character she was definitely a really strong female uh had some cool action scenes like was not afraid to get her hands dirty and was a strong interesting character to watch all the way through like i thought she was honestly one of the highlights of the movie she was really cool she never felt tropey and when she there's a part where she picks up a flamethrower and it's it's like a real flamethrower and it's, it's a really cool part. I also like that the zombies, there are only a couple in the movie, which I'm glad they did that because it made them scarier, you know, like that there were only a couple in there. Because right. the zombies felt like if there was more than three at any given moment or even more than one, honestly, everyone would be dead. <laughs> like, yeah, because they're... They're insanely strong. Right. They're like 20 days, 28 days later zombies, but stronger. It's crazy. Like, yeah. I, this movie's fucking great. <laughs> I mean, uh, there, there's one character, the doctor character that actually does the experiments, is kind of like the um, doctor from Captain America 1 and 2, yeah. the Nazi doctor. I think they're like probably based on similar people, or, you know, obviously they're both Nazi doctors, so they're similar characters. But um, they even have a similar goal, where, like, I feel if, as if this movie, they're trying to make some kind of super soldier serum, and obviously it messes with the the characters and and creates these kind of monsters that they have to fight but uh, i thought that that was like kind of a cool twist on the zombie where they're not just slow moving brain eating but they're also have that extra twist to them yeah and so as far as where this would fit in with the wolfenstein games this is definitely like the old blood where it's before the nazis win world war ii in that universe it's very like it's a war like that's a war game that has an occult twist kind of it's just, it's there but it doesn't play a massive part in the story and i feel like that's where this sits too where the zombies are there but they don't play this massive part in the story like the goal at the end of the day is still to take down that radio tower and i like that it kept that focus throughout the entire thing i like that a lot too i like that it was a it's like a contained story where the idea is you know it's in the middle of world war Two, and it's take down this tower to help win the war to help beat the nazis you know it's not like this huge you know go kill hitler or something it's this short small kind of contained incident where it feels like the goal is attainable with a small crew of people and it makes you really feel for the characters and and kind of follow their struggle in a way that because like obviously you don't know if they're going to win or not because it's like you know the war is made of all these little vignettes of like you know, maybe they didn't win the tower that day, but they were able to do something later, you know? Like, it keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Yeah, and there's, like, multiple moments where you're like, oh, man, if they get caught, they're dead. Like, they set up the, the Nazis in this movie to be, like, shoot on sight from yeah. the very start. So you, you you get the stakes of this movie from the very beginning when you see yeah. one character die as soon as they're on the ground. But, man, the, the intro sequence, I think, is one of the best sequences from a war movie ever. Just, like... The plane getting ripped apart in the sky and like that was amazing. It was so cool. This is all in the trailer. The plane lights on fire because it gets hit by 
a bunch of machine gun bullets and like the engine blows up the plane catches on fire and they're all trying to parachute out of it while it's like crashing and as he's parachuting down you see another plane blow up above him it's just fucking really cool this is awesome yeah i mean i i don't think it can be overstated enough how well they did the war aspect of this movie like it feels like a legitimate war movie and a well done one at that i hope this movie does find cult status eventually honestly when this gets a blu-ray release i'm gonna buy it yeah me too i i would watch this in 4k for if, sure. Did you see it in like IMAX or anything? I just saw it in like a normal oh, theater. I didn't see you it. Gotta, in... You should see it in IMAX because that's what the screening was in, and uh, that's the first time I've ever seen a movie in IMAX and been like, "Whoa, it was actually different." I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> this is crazy." <laughs> like, there's a legitimate difference to it. Oh, it's like scary loud. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, like they they made sure during the part where the planes crash and like really crank the volume, yeah, like it was you shaking feel, your seats basically. <laughs> yeah, you feel every explosion. Ah, oh, so cool. It, it was it was legitimately awesome. It was a really good IMAX experience. No, it was crazy. Like that's the way to see it. But I, I, I only saw it in a normal theater night. You I don't also... have a lot of IMAXs near you, also. So it's like, yeah, like the really one good one is like a bit of a trick yeah i think it was smart of paramount though to spend the extra money to show this movie to run out an entire imax theater the week during uh bohemian rhapsody's key week like they obviously they knew it would be played well in imax yeah they obviously put the the effort in to make sure that um you know it had that extra little you know there is a better way of seeing it than just the normal theater um experience yeah so that's pretty much all I have to say on uh, Overlord, I think everyone should go see this movie. If you're a listener of the show, you think you'll genuinely love it. If you usually line up with our opinions. And I think it deserves to make a little bit more money than it did. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne. And you can find the show at Fear Frequency. And where can we find you? Uh, I'm on all the social medias at George Fazard. Cool. Uh, you want to bring us home? Yeah. Um, like I said in the beginning of the show, if you ever want to reach us uh, via email for any kind of questions or fan letters or anything like that, it is fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. Um, and as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening. Yeah.